Hey, did you just have a meeting with a donor and they told you something really, really important and you have no place to put it except for like maybe an Excel spreadsheet or, I don't know, a random piece of paper in your office? Go to DonorDoc.com. Get a CRM system that works. Get a donor database system that works. Get something that gives you beautiful reports and beautiful dashboards that even your crankiest board member will love. Go to DonorDoc.com. Use the code word "Do Good Better" at checkout and get a month free. DonorDoc.com. Choosing a partner to help you achieve success in your business or personal finances is a big decision. You need a devoted advisor who's experienced and attentive and invested in helping you accomplish your goals. Hey, you know what that sounds like? Brady Martz. Brady Martz knows that you've got a lot of options to choose from, but we're confident that Brady Martz is the right accounting firm for you. they got more than a half a century of experience making everyday count through tax, accounting, audit, and business advisory services. So contact Brady Martz to learn more about their unique solutions that they can provide to you and your nonprofit. Your organization is awesome, but sometimes you want to be even awesomer. It's time to get your fundraising on with your host, fundraising expert and author, Patrick Kirby. Hey everybody, welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kirby, and of course we talk with people who are going to help our small and medium-sized nonprofits do good better. And one of the questions that I think uh, a lot of nonprofits ask themselves, whether you're starting the new year or you're getting halfway through and you're like, what on, what on earth do we do? What sort of impact do we make? Why is everything that we're uh, sort of chatting about or sort of uh, having to do with our impact either negatively or positively, and you're just confused about how to position yourself correctly? Well, my dear viewers and listeners, I'm going to go to the source of all font of knowledge, which is our guest today, who wrote a book on this exact very topic, Professor Michelle Schumann. Welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. Uh, I'm excited to have you. I'm excited to be here. It's going to be awesome. Uh, so you wrote a book called uh, Network for Social Impacts. We're going to get into that. Um, but I think when people are sort of clicking through and they're and they're looking at iTunes and they're seeing the idea of like, okay, I'm going to get very clear on how to either describe or or work with or keep encouraging the social impact or the impact that we're going to do at our organizations, but they don't really know who you are yet. And so I want you to have this opportunity at a 5,000 foot level on who you are, what you do, and why we're chatting today. Yeah, be happy to. Now, I, I often tell people that really my story is I am my parents' daughter. My dad is a faith leader. My house growing up was like the place where you went when you needed things. So we were like the nonprofit in our very, very small town. Um, so, you know, we were the place you went for food. We were the place you went if you needed a bill paid. We were the place you went if you needed somewhere to stay. And so I, I thought that was normal. That's the way everybody grows up as their house is kind of just, you know, always people knocking on the door. Um, and so, you know, coming up and, and figuring out what am I going to do with my life? I always knew volunteering and social service was going to be a part of that. Um, I made a couple of pivots in graduate school and figured out, you know, really my passion is taking all of this stuff that I was learning about knowledge management and figuring out how to apply it to the social service and nonprofit sector. Because what I was seeing is that many organizations were trying to reinvent the wheel over and over again, and that if we could only get together and find ways to collaborate across organizations, we could be more effective and more efficient in what we do. 
And so I have gone on and been doing research in the nonprofit sector for the past 17 years, which does not seem possible because I don't I don't feel like that that could be that that could be true, but it is. Um, and I also do consulting. And so I, I own Social Impact Network Consulting and um, where I work do, doing both executive coaching and then working with networks to try to help um, make them more impactful. Uh, so that kind of gives you a, a front door into my world and how I got here um, and, you know, continue to do that work to both as a professor and consultant today. I love it. I think maybe if we start with um, how we can define social impact, I think that might be a good mm-hmm. starting point because that's, you know, when, when folks are listening to this and they're trying to talk with their boards or, or potential donors or sponsors or whatever, they're going to try to describe whatever impact they make. So maybe you can help us out. Uh, on, on maybe kind of defining it for this podcast and this conversation. What is social impact? Yeah, so when we think about social impact, we're not talking about impact for organizations necessarily. So yes, we do care about your fundraising dollars and your media impressions, but that's not social impact. And we're not talking about outputs either. And so that's a distinction. So it's not the number of people you serve. It's not the necessarily the number of um, services that you provide or the number of people who are enrolled in your programs. Social impact is measurable outcomes for communities and for the people you serve. So just to kind of give you an example from the book. So Agewell Pittsburgh is a, a group of um, Jewish um, senior serving organizations in Pittsburgh. And they do a lot of outputs, right? They provide a lot of services. They do, uh, you know, they certainly provide food assistance. They figure out how to do home visitation programs, get people into the right situations so they can stay in their homes. Those are outputs. But the outcomes are what are the ways in which the seniors they serve can remain independent? Do we see a reduced number of emergency room visits? Do we stay in them staying in their homes longer? Those are outcomes. And that's what we're talking about when we think about social, um, social impact. It's harder, I think, for nonprofits to sell that, right? It's easy to go, hey, your $100 is going to buy this many meals. Your uh, 50 bucks is going to buy this many pair of pants. Um, and I think that's where um, if you if you take the whatever the social impact is, you're going to have a much more meaningful and deeper conversation with potential donors. So maybe how do we make that transition in the first place? Because that's maybe that's kind of an easier way to like, OK, now we're going to start thinking about this a little differently. But what's your first step? Like, how do we start that process? I think the first step for for any nonprofit is to figure out what's your theory of change. How is your programs, how are the things that you're doing supposed to add up to the social impact that you have in your vision and mission statement? What's the connection there? And how do you know from a tractable point of view that you're actually making a difference and you're not just on a treadmill of providing the same programs and services, but the social issue hasn't changed at all. You still have the same level of need that you did last month, last year, last decade, right? Uh, that's one piece of it. And I think that that's often a gap whenever I do executive education or I work with nonprofit leaders, often they can tell me about their programs and they can tell me about their mission and their vision, but they can't tell me how they connect. Mm -hmm. And so that articulating that I think is the first step. 
And I think that's a really powerful fundraising tool to your point, right? Don't just tell me about how that $100 can pay for such and such program, but then tell me what that translates into in terms of the long-term sustainability of that impact. Tell me about how that's actually going to change the social issue and why we're actually going to move the needle as a result of it. Do you think that's because I think people fundraise in the immediacy and they don't spend the, a lot of time going, hey, this, I mean, talking about five years, 10 years, two decades down the road is um, hard to be enthusiastic about in the moment, mm-hmm. right? So when you're, when you're sort of clamoring for dollars and you're chasing budgets and you're really worried about how in the hell am I going to pay for this month's bills in our organization, it's hard to formulate stories that talk about, but think about this or imagine this down the line. Do you think that has anything to do with um, why people don't focus on that a lot? I think it has to do with that. And I think it has to do with our underfunding and under attention to evaluation of what we do. We love to be able to show those outputs and tell stories because those are cheap and easy. Mm-hmm. To take the thoughtful approach where you're actually finding ways to measure that social impact over time is at top of priority for a lot of organizations. And that's unfortunate because that's why we're here to do what we want, we're doing. That's why we're raising the money is because of this mission. And then because we haven't presented ourselves with enough time, enough um, thought process around those connections, we're missing out on making a bigger outcome than we would if we're just focused on the here and now. I think it's, I think it's a challenge not to sound nerdy talking about that, right? And I feel like if you're watching this on YouTube, and you're watching the Mario background, the Legend of Zelda, this nerdy things in the background of mine, that's where the gold is, because mm-hmm. that then leads to questions of like, well, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Because it's not an easy answer. It's not like a, this is going to lead to this answer. They're more inquisitive. They're more philosophical. And if you can have those type of conversations with your donors, well, then you're diving into real deep conversations of if they want that or if you're matched correctly in, in the first place. Uh, to take yours uh, a step further, I love the, um, I love the question. If you're, if you're starting out as a nonprofit, maybe you can judge me as your 17-year research, uh, if this is a good question to start with, which is, um, if your organization ceases to exist, what happens? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. reverse engineer some of that, right? Where if you go away tomorrow, you close the doors, what's your impact? Mm-hmm. And and maybe that gets you to think a little bit deeper of like, well, holy crap, instead of just, uh, I don't make a budget, how many other people are affected down the, wa- like waterfall moment down the line? Mm-hmm. I think even maybe even a deeper question, love that one, but let's add one to it, which is what could I do in the next 20 years to put myself out of business because we wouldn't need our organization anymore. Love that. What a, what a challenge too, for a board to try to work themselves out of a job or work themselves Mm -hmm. out of a need. But isn't that ultimately why you start a nonprofit in the first place or why you start something in the first Like, sometimes I think we forget about that. We think of this in perpetuity, right? You think about a, a, a um, an endowment, right? This endowment is going to last forever. Well, that's stupid. We don't want this, this, this issue to last forever. Why on earth are we going to put money into a place that then prolongs the, the what could be a solution in 20 years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I think that you're exactly right, that we tend to get so involved in maintaining our organizations that we've missed the the real prize, which is 
why that founder, why that original working board got together and said, man, we got to go all in on this. Um, that's the moment. Yeah. I'm going to think about this like, like all day and now, uh, just sort of looking at, and again, I think if you're listening, like, do, does my mission have an end game? Mm-hmm. You know, what is that? That's a really good way to kind of maybe think about that. And, and, and when you're thinking about end games, um, uh, I think doing it alone is an overwhelming sense of dread, but a, not a lot of organizations think about how they can partner up with others. And I don't know if this comes from an idea of uh, scarcity, where I can't give up, you know, my my uh, my belief or my my original mission if I bring somebody else on there. But but I'd love you to kind of talk about maybe the first baby steps into this conversation, which is how do we partner up with other organizations or other businesses or other you know philanthropic entities to help us with that social impact down the line. That's a great question. And that really, this is what my bread and butter is. I love getting organizations together to amplify their impact. And I think when I talk to some leaders who aren't doing that yet, what I hear is I've tried that before. It was a waste of time. I went to a whole bunch of meetings and whatever came of that, right? (laughs) And so I guess the, the, the good news I have to tell that leader is, okay, Yes, there are some really ineffective networks out there, and you may have experienced that. But let me tell you that there are networks who are absolutely effective in amplifying their social impact, who are really moving the needle on social issues. They just have to be designed better. Now, if you have a group who's asking you to join their network and their network involves, let's get together for breakfast once a month, there's no reason for you to show up there except for a free breakfast, right? But if you have a group who's getting together and they've got a articulated theory of change for that network, what that network's going to do that you could not do as an individual organization, it might be time to give it another try. And so I think about organizations and networks that I've worked with who have different theories of change, but that all have made a, a big social impact. Um, So when I think about organizations who do this in terms of learning, for example, Communities That Care is a uh, prevention-based coalition program, gets together school districts, public health departments, youth-serving nonprofits. The idea is to prevent risky youth behavior, so reducing the uptake of substance abuse in communities, so on and so forth. What's their theory of change? Everybody needs to learn prevention science. That's their theory of change. Everybody needs to be measuring on the same metrics. And so when you join those organ, when you join that network, how do you, what's your role? Your role is to learn, right? So would you sign up to learn to make your organization better? Sure. And we actually have randomized control trials that show that they're more successful than if you were just operating alone, right? Like there are wonderful programs on that way. I think about um, groups like America Serves that I've been working with who help connect veterans, military families, um, transitioning service members to a suite of 21 different services. They put together networks of over 100 organizations. If you're a veteran serving organization, what do you do in that network? Well, they're a systems alignment network. So their idea is that a veteran should never be told, no, you're not eligible. This is the wrong place to go to ask for that help and that we should be accountable to what we do. So what they have done is build out a system where you get a referral and you have a service coordinator who makes sure it gets to the right organization, gets picked up and a person gets contacted. Their outcomes in efficiency, a veteran on average gets a call within 24 hours of making a request from an agency who can help them. 
So if you're a small veteran serving organization, what are you signing up for? It's not breakfast. It's I'm going to take referrals and be responsive to that. There should be a really clear ask of you. If there's a very clear ask of you, if it makes sense on how this is going to make a difference and make a social impact, then it's worth showing up for. Then it's worth hearing more about. That's awesome with the organizations. And I think then most nonprofits leap to like, okay, well, this sounds like something then I can go and approach some businesses about as well. And I think there's there's a there's a harder leap for, for nonprofits to do. Cause again, we get stuck into that, like, hey, you're a thousand dollar sponsorship at our golf tournament's gonna get you four players and a whole sign and a couple of cocktails, right? So that that's our initial ask with businesses. But I'd love you to expand on that partnership area with businesses too, because there I think is the most invaluable resource that is underutilized in the nonprofit world is how do you align a business, a for-profit business that has a mission statement and they're driven, they've got employees that want to do something in the world and your organization. How do you begin that conversation? Because that's the real in-depth, both pockets, like personal and professional pockets that you can fundraise from but you got to get to the core issue of if you're aligned correctly in the first place. And so is it a similar conversation internally with you or what are you asking the business how to explore and ask better questions to your point earlier? How do you ask better questions and what those might be to see if you match? Yeah. So I think that often um, for businesses, we think about them as just giant checkbooks. Yeah. We're going to approach them. They've got a checkbook. That's what I want from them. And one of the things that we know about in giving is this kind of theory um, and research process called the time ask effect. If you ask somebody for their time before you ask them for your their money, they'll give you more money, right? I think we have to think about that in the same way with businesses. What's the time thing that you're asking for? What's the expertise? What's the other parts of the fit that you're going to ask for? before you ask for the money. Not to say you shouldn't ask for the money, you should ask for the money. But we can think about what's that time aspect or what's that knowledge or what's that competency. And then when I think about businesses that have joined networks, there's a few things that maybe you haven't considered before. One of them is rather than just thinking about them as as hosts for volunteers or even for, you know, when we think about, um, you know, gifts in kind or those kind of things, Mm -hmm. think about their expertise. Now, we talked about the really nerdy things that we were talking with evaluation. Guess who has a whole bunch of nerds hanging around who knows how to do evaluation? Any business that is doing continuous quality improvement, if they did manufacturing in any way, if they're doing any kind of services, they've got a bunch of people running around calling themselves black belts for Lean Six Sigma. Guess what they have? The ability to do evaluation. Could they help you become better at what you do by giving you their expertise? Now we're talking about something like executive loan. Now we're talking about something like pro bono consultant. Now we're talking about other types of time. And if they're invested in helping make you better, now you've got a different kind of money ask that could come after that, right? Because they're already involved in making this better, thinking about improvements. But if you only had money to do these things, guess who also has the money to do these things? The same business, right? So thinking about that time piece. And then sometimes businesses are really interesting because they are they make a social impact too, sometimes in terms of who they will employ. 
right? So are there ways in which your programs could become more sustainable if they had a pathway to employment for certain groups of folks, or they had certain types of access or mentors from certain kinds of business leaders? That's another time ask that you can make. So start with the time ask, then ask for the money. And it's and it's almost, and I think even the pandemic has, has really shifted this, that time seems to be more valuable than money to the person you're asking, right? Mm -hmm. I can give money. It's an easy out, but time, even though we've got, can't go anywhere and do anything, right? We're kind of trapped in hub, but that time that I have seems to be more valuable. So I love what you said about that because that then says they've given you the most valuable resource they have up front and ask for cash or some sort of partnership in a financial thing is an easy ask after that. Mm -hmm. Which is wonderful, and I and I love the old uh, sales adages. If you um, if you ask for money, you're going to get uh, advice. If you ask for advice, you get money, right? Mm -hmm. So if I ask you, Michelle, hey, I'd love you to give me five thousand dollars. Your initial reaction is like, I don't have that, but I you know who does. I'll give you some. You, know, mm -hmm. you ask this person rather than hey, I would love to get your thoughts as someone who is a, a leader. On, on how our mission sounds and how my sales pitch sounds. And I'd love, you know, this will make, I'll make an ask official, but I'd really love your perspective on how this sounds to me. And eventually that relationship's going to turn, well, how else can I help? Well, gift. And so mm -hmm. I, this, this matches so well with this methodical march down the field for relationship building with prospective partnerships and businesses and, and community groups because the long-term goal, which is always what we just try to strive for, and it's hard because you have an immediate need, uh, but your need has nothing to do with the donors want to give, right? So finding that ground, I think, is really the step that's really needed and, and your perspective and, and how you can tie in social impact to figure out if you align correctly is brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. I think that, that also as you partner with business, the question of social impact is more and more important. Mm -hmm. So you know, I've mm -hmm. worked with several corporate foundations over the years. And one of the things their boards push them on always is tell us what the return on investment is in terms of social impact. Mm -hmm. So these two ideas go hand in hand. How do you make sure that you are aligned with businesses in a way that gets them excited as donors? But eventually they're going to ask the question, not tell me about what I bought, but tell me about the social impact of what I bought. Yeah, I love that. It, you know, if you're a if you're a nonprofit leader, if you are working for social change, say you have that, there's bound to be, and I think people listening probably understand that too. There's bound to be a point where you just get confused upon where you are and where you're going. There's probably a frustration level that you haven't reached that yet. There's probably issues within your your management that gets a little cloudy and muddy. I'm sure everybody has that, right? And I think if you're feeling that you're the only one, there's there's no way because everybody gets to that moment. And whether you're a founder or whether you've come on board to sort of move them forward, how do you get out of that muddled moment of like, I don't think we're doing anything. I don't think we're making the amount of impact that we need. I don't think we're doing it in a timely fashion. How do you sort of help clarify from a management's perspective on what on earth are we doing here now? Like that, mm. that moment of like, I'm stuck. Mm -hmm. 
One of the things that a tool that is kind of my go-to whenever I have somebody who I'm working with who's in that situation, and I've had many, many clients over the years who call <laughs> me in that exact moment, mm-hmm. is I have them walk me through the whys, mm-hmm. right? Um, I use, uh, I, I love root cause analysis and my favorite um, tool for root cause analysis, it's the five whys tool, which is just like my incessant kids asking why, why, why five whys, right? So mm-hmm. they, they tell me about, well, I don't think I'm making a social impact in this area for, I talk with a lot of education leaders. So they say, I don't think that we're actually getting folks to the post-secondary completion point of view. We've been doing all this work, but they just, we don't get them to the completion of, of their of their credential. Right. I said, okay, five wise tool. Why? Why don't we get them to that that place? And they said, well, you know, they get started, but they don't persist. So something's happening in there. Why don't they persist? Right. And as we dig deeper, often what we're doing is we're discovering a gap in that theory of change. That gap that says, oh, well, we're hitting all of the marks here, but there's a, a, a piece that's not getting supported between what we're doing and the social impact we want to see. We need to fill in that gap. And so for a lot of groups, it's you know emergency loans, right? So if you have a low-income student who experiences a d- difficulty in their, um, in their life, in their family life, they'll drop out of school to work in order to support that. So emergency loans can be that gap between what they're doing and what they're not doing. But just continuing to stay on that kind of hamster wheel and not producing the social impact means you haven't stopped to ask the whys. What's underneath this problem? Chances are there, there's something that's missing in that theory of change. Um, often I'll get, and I'm sure you get addressed this too, uh, in, the, in the sector of somebody coming up to you and saying, um, I want to start a nonprofit. And you're like, oh, that's nice. They tell me. And I, and my immediate reaction is, please don't. There's, there's enough, and you can probably help others. Um, but this is the best answer, and I, so I appreciate you for that. But one of the questions that I think you could ask is, well, why? It's going back to like, well, why on earth are you starting one where there are plenty that you could probably impact or you could have an impact on? And, and is the answer of why, and if they don't have a real sort of solution to some sort of social issue or there's not a, a social impact or a direct social impact. It, is it worth starting a nonprofit to, and then that doesn't necessarily have a social impact as its main focus? Because that, I mean, there's so many, right? There's millions, you know, I don't even know how many at this point. There's too many. Um, nonprofits in general, is it okay for them not to have a social impact as part of their being? And is, are there, is there value to nonprofits that don't have that as a, a position? Mm. So you and I have the same experience, except I teach undergraduate students who have so much energy and so much social commitment and not a ton of knowledge about the sector. So I get pitched a new nonprofit organization on the weekly. Uh, they are ready to go. And usually they're pitching one that looks exactly like another one. I know they just don't know about it yet. I mean, that's just that part of my, my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, being a nonprofit organization and its purpose in the world is probably pretty philosophical for the average day Mm -hmm. for me. Um, 
I think if we're going, though, to grant tax-exempt status in the United States to nonprofit organizations, they should do a social good. Um, and that might not be social impact for everyone. There's some membership nonprofits who really just do social good for the people who are there. And it's part of enhancing belonging. I think there's a place for that. But if you're going to do something like I'm going to start a nonprofit in education or for to address climate change or I'm going to do it to try to address homelessness, I don't want you taking up space and dollars if you're not going to make a social impact. Those problems are too persistent and too pernicious for us to bother with that. There are 30,000 new nonprofits every year in the United States. Not all of them are probably worth the paper. Um, we need organizations when they're going to talk about persistent social issues to be much more disciplined. Can you start a nonprofit or are there nonprofits that might start off as doing you know, social good that could end up being and making social impact? Have you seen any of those? Or can you think of, uh, you know, that that path, does that exist? Or could it exist in, in, in theory where, yeah, yeah, I kind of just want to make, I want to make the world a better place in my own little community. And does that end up being, I see a route through the work and the boots on the ground that I'm doing that I can make a massive difference here? Is that a route that I think maybe somebody could take? I think someone could. I mean, I'll apply this back to this idea of networks. So one of my favorite networks um, for a, a long time is uh, the Chattanooga Museums Collaborative, which is a group of, of museums, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, and they started out with the idea of, okay, let's get together and collaborate to save some money. We're going to do back office stuff, right? So let's pool our insurance. Let's pool our IT cost. Let's purchase bulk um, for office supplies together, right? And this is not a collaboration that's designed to make a social impact. This is a good collaboration, but it's really just designed to save everybody money. Mm -hmm. They started that way. And over time, they got used to each other and they started to trust each other. And I think that nonprofits and networks often move at the speed of trust, right? And over time, what they've been able to do is create some amazing social impact as a set of museums. They did a joint capital campaign that transformed the Chattanooga waterfront match with the city and went all in together where they said, nobody gets to earmark dollars to one of our museums. It all goes to this joint campaign. Nobody's going to get to cherry pick, right? They went ahead and they developed school programs where they've got partnerships with low-income schools in Chattanooga, where they've got museum staff working across museums to come together to help enhance the educational experience. They didn't start that way, right? They started with, you know, boring things like joint insurance programs, right? Like it wasn't social impact. It doesn't mean you can't get there. And I think the same is probably true for individual nonprofit organizations too, um, often you're not ready to go all the way to making a social impact. You don't have your final theory of change when you're starting out. Um, you should eventually get there. That's the goal. But you might not have all the pieces when you start. And when you're talking about networks, because I think this is what I love about, you know, nonprofits hearing this, and they're thinking, okay, well, now I need, I, I feel kind of alone. I don't feel like I don't, I don't have that collaborative piece. I don't have this. If you're a nonprofit and you're thinking that this sounds great, when do you know that you don't have a large enough network or that you're not a part of the right network? Is there a moment where you're like, ah, oh, 
I can't do this? Or is there a moment of like, I could do this as your moment? What's, what is there? It's the breaking point of a nonprofit realizing they either need or don't have the appropriate network. I think that there's two things that nonprofits, when they think about their social impact, might cause them to collaborate. One of them is when they realize, I don't own all of the pieces of the causes of my social problem. I don't have all the competencies or the scale to be able to do this. And maybe they've done a root cause analysis and they've realized, oh, there's things like the way that our urban communities are planned and set up and we don't do urban planning. Or, oh, there's a piece of this that has to do with partnering with school district and we're not the school district, right? So that's one piece that kind of tips them off. Or the other place that I see is when they think we're doing something really great but we don't have the capacity to scale this to the size of our problem, right? Our problem is bigger than we are. And we, we need to design a network to amplify, to expand what we do. Both of those can lead to getting to a network, but a different kind of network. So when an organization finds out they don't have all the competencies they need, they need the school district, they need urban planning, they need somebody who does nutrition, they often are looking at a cross-sector network. Mm -hmm. And cross-sector networks, by and large, are community-based networks. They tend to be very local, but they tend to bring together lots of different groups. So business leaders, government agencies, nonprofits from many different social systems. You know, as complex as the problem is, as complex as that network. And that's one of the ways you can tell if it's it's any good or not. Is Is it as complex as the problem? But the other piece that they might realize is we're doing some really great work, but, you know, I'm a small nonprofit. We can only serve this many people. And I see other people in other locations around the country or globally who are also addressing this problem. Maybe there's a way we could scale this up. Um, So Tracy uh, Wharton, who uh, runs the uh, Littlest Tumor Foundation, Um, It's a foundation that's really around this rare childhood cancer called neurofibromatosis. She was one of those. They do great work, Little Stumas Foundation, but it is a nonprofit of one full-time employee. That is Tracy. She has a couple part-time contract staff. That's it. But she saw the problem because of her son having neurofibromatosis as being way bigger than her organization could ever achieve. She knew who the funders were who also did neurofibromatosis work in Texas and in New York and all of these different places. And she was just tenacious and brought them together and said, no, we're a network because we can't be loud enough if we're all of our separate organizations Um, to advocate for this particular rare cancer. No one's going to hear us on the Hill unless we get together and we advocate. And so she recognized she needed a bigger scale to be able to have the kind of impact she wanted to have. And that was what got her to bring organizations together who did the same thing. They were all in the same cancer area. They were all foundations who were raising money for this, but they didn't have the right scale of impact to be able to do it. So if you need to, if you, well, first of all, all of you need to buy this book. So you need to go and get network for social impacts. You're, you're, you're gonna have uh, you know, scientific proof that this is something that you and your organization need to do. Yes. Was there a time while you're doing research on this book? Was there an aha moment or was there a piece of research you like, yep, this is it. This is the whole thing that links everything together or your proof moment or your, your big thing of like, Oh, 
this everything kind of matches. Was there a moment that you sort of were writing and researching where that happened, or that it was a kind of a collection of things proving this theory of networks uh, and social impact? I think the thing that I started to realize in writing this book, and I didn't know at the beginning, was how important it would be for folks to articulate their theory of change at the outset. Because I think that often in the sector, we have like these fad models of collaboration, and there's a whole bunch of them that we've run through over the years. Um, And I don't think the fads are really helpful. What I found was that for networks who were really able to show me they've made a social impact, they have moved the needle. They had the same theory of change for 10, 15 years sometimes, and they hadn't changed it, but then they set up their entire network around it, right? Mm -hmm. So they knew what their theory of change was, and that drove who got to be at the table. That drove governance and decision-making. That drove task forces. That drove evaluation metrics. It was all about aligning all of those network pieces with that theory of change. How was that network going to make a bigger social impact? Um, And I I love it because um, what that tells me is that we've got different social problems in the world, right? And we don't need a one-size-fits-all model. And that, I think, was my biggest aha moment is like, it's all about design thinking. You have to make the network design fit the problem and the theory of change. And that, and that's, I love that too, because it involves a science and involves an art and it involves creativity and rigidness within a framework. Like it has all these elements uh, of, of success, which probably seems overwhelming if you're just a single founder, which is probably the reason why you should buy this book. And if we were trying to find this book, where on earth would we find it? How can we get this? You can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, or from Oxford University Press, or pretty much any place that um, books are sold. That's fantastic. And if they want to get a hold of you, they want to have a conversation, they want to uh, sort of bring in your perspective as well. How on earth do people get a hold of you, Michelle? Um, you can send me an email at shumate, S-H-U-M-A-T-E, at northwestern.edu. That's where I'm a professor. Or you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm I'm the only Michelle Shoemate that spelled my way because evidently that's an unusual enough name that that works on LinkedIn. Or I'm Prof Shoemate on Twitter. And so any of those places are are places where I interact with folks all the time. As with all of our podcast guests, we're going to have all those links in the the show notes. And so I encourage you, please go get this. uh, Take a peek. Go look at uh, Michelle's work and and, and sort of connect with her as well. Uh, You won't regret it. Uh, And I imagine that this is going to be just the tip of the iceberg for conversations with a handful of organizations who just find this fascinating and who are ready to make this as as a committed sort of maneuver for their organization and think a little bit longer term, a little bit deeper and a little more high level than your average, hey, you got 10 bucks, I got a solution for you. Well, you might not. And that's why you should go get this. Michelle, thank you so much for being a guest on the official Do Good Better podcast. It was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure to be here. Well, let's see you next time here on the official Do Good Better podcast. Look, as someone who listens to the show, you know that I love helping small and medium-sized nonprofits. That's why we bring on the awesome experts and guests that get to talk to you about how to make your organization more awesome. So I've got a deal for you. I would like to help you. I would like to work with you. So if you go to 
dogooduniversity.com. That's dogooduniversity.com. And you register for one of the courses. I'm going to send you my best-selling book, Fundraise Awesomer, A Practical Guide to Staying Sane While Doing Good for Free, because I really want you to do amazing work. Listen, dogooduniversity.com. Go pick out something, whether it's a board training or a gratitude training or whatever webinar you want to choose. Um, use the promo code podcast, take 25% off of anything that you purchase. And I'm going to throw in a book as well, because I want you to do awesome. I want you to do awesomer and I want you to do good better. Go to dogooduniversity.com today. Hey, did you just have a meeting with a donor and they told you something really, really important and you have no place to put it except for like maybe an Excel spreadsheet or I don't know, a random piece of paper in your office? Go to DonorDoc.com. Get a CRM system that works. Get a donor database system that works. Get something that gives you beautiful reports and beautiful dashboards that even your crankiest board member will love. Go to DonorDoc.com. Use the code word "Do Good Better" at checkout and get a month free. DonorDoc.com. Choosing a partner to help you achieve success in your business or personal finances is a big decision. You need a devoted advisor who's experienced and attentive and invested in helping you accomplish your goals. Hey, you know what that sounds like? Brady Martz. Brady Martz knows that you've got a lot of options to choose from, but we're confident that Brady Martz is the right accounting firm for you. they got more than a half a century of experience making everyday count through tax, accounting, audit, and business advisory services. So contact Brady Martz to learn more about their unique solutions that they can provide you and your nonprofit. 